Welcome to the Friday edition of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada, and we're, of course, not going to drop as many F-bombs on this episode. So if your children are around, it's safe to welcome them back into the room and listen to their favorite pinball podcast, Canada's Pinball Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the reaction of Beatles why I put up the Pinside Babies episode, which I hope you enjoyed. I think some of you out there actually like it when I go off the rails a little bit. I think it's part of what has defined this show and even my personality over the years is that sometimes I will just shoot from the hip and tell you exactly how I feel without holding back. And I think we did that. And I think uh, a lot of you appreciated that. Um, I'm also going to read a lot of your feedback on this episode. Primarily, I want to talk about your response to what I've said about the Beatles and what's been going on in pinball lately. So this is going to be a Friday, a short little episode um, where we turn it over to you, the customer, to tell us how you feel about what's going on in pinball. Um, Before I do both of those things, I want to send a pinball invite out into the world. And I want to invite someone who you know very well, who you listen to, who you respect, who I respect, who I listen to, to be a guest of this show. I want to invite Zach Manny onto the show from straight down the middle, and I know he does a weekly podcast with This Week in Pinball. I want to invite Zach on this show to talk about one topic. I want him to sell me on Pirates of the Caribbean, on why I should um, think about this game a little bit differently. And I want to just have a discussion about Pirates and what we think about it, because I think we both have um, a lot of good opinions, and we've actually had like a lot of healthy debate about the game. We're not like cursing each other out, but I think it would be great for Zach to join the show. Um, Will he join? I hope so, but the offer is out there. So Zach, if you're listening, come on, man. Let's, let's, Let's not be pinball podcast competitors. Let's Let's join each other's shows. I'll go on. If he comes on this show, I'll go on his show. Um, I always love being a guest on other pinball podcasts. Now, ask me how many times I've been invited to be on someone else's show. The number one Twippy award-winning podcast is this one, and I have been invited zero times to be a guest on other shows. But I'll say this. Greg and Zach invited me to go on straight down the middle, and I had a great time talking to them about Star Wars, and that was like maybe like a year ago. Um, so maybe that's me feeling a little bit lonely. But let's talk about Pinside Babies and why I put up that episode. And I think you guys know why. I think you guys know why. I think Stern made a pinball machine that had a focus that was meant to be something different than what they normally do, and it's why they are going to reveal it differently. It's why they designed it differently. It's why they have done what they've done. It's why they're working with Joe Kamikow. And I just think the level of vitriol and insult and screaming and moaning and crying by people that will A, never buy the game, um, B, could never do better themselves, um, C, uh, are always, are always hypercritical of everything Stern does. And, you know, for, for that reason, you know, I just think that we needed to have a little bit of a counterpoint on that discussion. The other thing, too, is this. And this is why this podcast uh, is actually the best medium for me, is when you go on Pinside and you try to get a point across, it's really difficult 
because you either have to write this really long explanation of, of why you think the way you do, and nobody wants to read long things, or you write something really short and everyone, you know, and you can't really get your point across. And it's just this like, it's like, imagine putting like 50 guys in a room to discuss one topic, what that would be like as everyone's fighting for the mic. Half the people in there are just trolling to get thumbs up. The other half are in there, um, you know, just like to be jerks and contrarians. And then you got people who are actually excited about the game who usually remain quiet because think about it. If you walk into that room where everyone is bashing the game and you're actually, you like it and you like what you've seen, you know what you do? You usually don't even contribute. And this is my prediction. I really do think Stern is not going to have a trouble, like not going to have trouble selling this game. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, the, I heard the gold edition is going to be, I think it's $8,000 or eight or $9,000. Um, do I think they'll sell 250 at that price? Yes, I do. I, I, I mean, look, here's why. When you finally see the full package of this game, your, your, your mind's going to change a little bit. You've seen very, very little. And I know a lot of people are complaining that it's a Sea Witch reskin, but then we hear a lot of really um, like savvy veterans and seasoned pinball veterans are saying that Sea Witch is an incredible game. And so, uh, you know, I think that this game, because of its universal appeal to anyone who wants to flip a pinball machine, is going to be a welcomed addition into the homes of collectors who want to put something in their home that is simple and easy to understand. Because think about it. If you wanted to put a modern game that almost anyone can play, think about your options. You've got, what, Woe Nelly, which is really a overly sexualized game that a lot of people won't put in their homes. And then what's next? You know, I would say like you've you've got like the Jetsons, you've got maybe Domino's Pizza, you've got Total Nuclear Annihilation, but again, like Total Nuclear Annihilation is probably not a theme or a game that just the random casual person is is going to get excited by. Um, but look, all of this is very subjective. My main point was. It's okay for you guys to have opinions and share your opinions about pinball machines. And new releases are times when we do. We give our opinions about games. But I just think a lot of people were unfairly criticizing Stern because they didn't even take the time to understand the concept of this machine. And I want to, I you know, there's some guy that I always call out on my podcast, and that is Frolic. And, I, and, and Ryan asked me once over at Head to Head, like, why do you call on Frolic? Like, why do you call him out? Like, why single this guy out? Okay, well, partly because if you're going to show up at pinball shows with a sign that says, meet Frolic, okay, then you've self-appointed yourself as one of the popular and, and prevalent and, uh, uh, you know, pinball figures, right? This guy is pretty famous on Pinside because of one thing. Think about why he's famous. Because he collects pinball machines, right? He he went on a stretch where he was buying almost every single Stern LE that came out. When you buy Mustang LE, you are allowed for me to make fun of you, okay? So what I'm saying is he he got he caught the pinball bug and he caught it hard. And, you know, he, he went to the media. He had media stories about his arcade, his game room. He's got this beautiful game room lined up with pins. 
Okay, but for me, Frolic is the poster child for why Stern pinball machines are $9,000 today because there are a lot of people that are just like him. And, but he's the one who stands in front of all of them and is always doing his thumbs up with each new inbox. Um, but here's why I pick on Frolic. For two reasons. One, I'm in the Batman thread and Frolic is on there complaining, not complaining, but just basically saying he wishes Lyman would make Batman easier because he can't complete uh, the minor villain modes and get to those wizard modes. Okay, let me tell you something. It is not hard to complete the minor villain modes in Batman if you're a decent player. I, I'm not even like a decent player, and I have completed those minor villain modes about five to seven times. Um, if I play all day long, I'll at least get it a few times, all right? It, it's, it's not super simple, but it's also not super hard. Um, so that shows me one thing. It shows me that having all these games for all these years, Frolic just doesn't want to get better at pinball and it's more about you know the, the the buying of the game it's more about the unboxing it's more about just having you know that hero shot of him in front of all his machines that makes him love pinball and that's fine it's totally fine for like you can totally be a collector but you know when it comes to playing pinball and this is my thing it's these guys who don't even play their machines that much or get better at their machines and they're asking for machines to be easier it's just kind of comical if you're going to own 20 pinball machines and you can't complete the minor villain modes in batman you need to stop buying the next game and just get good at pinball or good enough to actually enjoy the machines you own right the other thing is this. I just saw in the Beatles thread that he said that because the Beatles is going to ship without coin doors, it's going to lose a lot of value because the value in these machines comes from them being an operator's device. The ability for the machine to make money is what adds value to the game. Okay, so I read something like that. And I'm like, Frolic's a smart guy. He has to be. Like, he did something right in his career where he made enough money to collect pinball machines. But that statement to me, it just goes to show what Pinside does to people. It makes people say things without thinking, without thinking it through. So yes, while most pinball machines need coin doors because they are designed to be operated and put on location frolic, if you really stepped back and thought about the Beatles, this game is designed to be a home collectible item. That is how they designed it from the ground up. It is not meant to go on route and be operated. And think a little bit, Frolic. Think, guys. See, not just him, all of you out there. Can you not look at something and then think at, and ask yourself, why is it this way? Okay, so the other thing, the other reason why to remove the coin door, if you're Stern and you're Joe Kamikow and making it only a home-use product is then you don't give people the chance to go on location and play the game and get the fill of the game and then not have to buy the game, right? The only place you can play the game is in someone's home, 
all right? And, and I don't think a pinball machine designed to be a collectible loses any value because it doesn't have a coin door. In fact, I'll play devil's advocate and I'll talk about the um, Batman Super LE that Al bought in New York City and he routed a $15,000 Batman Super LE. Why? Nobody knows why. When he could have put the same exact game um, in, in the $8,000 premium form out in the open. Now let me tell you what happens. Al puts this game out in public. His Batman SLE is beat to shit like beat to shit like the play field is destroyed it, it's i mean not destroyed but you know it's like it's got like heavy 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 wear like shooter lane is black um the game is just taking a pounding uh, the pinstripes on, on on the lockdown bar are all gone like the pinstripes on the side have been like abused like the game's got scratches on it it's got dents on it it's like everything you would it's it's like parking your ferrari in an outdoor lot in a bad neighborhood. That's what it would be like to take a collectible like a Beatles and put it out on location. Have you ever seen like Crazy Levy? He's also mad at me because of what I said in my last podcast. And also this, I have had an open invitation to Crazy Levy to come on the show at any time. He talks so much, right? Nobody talks more than he does. Nobody lives on Pinside more than him. And I've invited him so many times to come on the show and articulate um, his opinions and his points of view. And you know, you know what he won't do? He won't do it. He won't do it. Now he's, now he's using my behavior at the New York City Pinball Tournament as an excuse not to come on. He's saying, I can't come on now, Chris, after what you did to Tim. Well, let me say, say something, Levy. I've apologized to you. I've apologized to Tim. The episode is behind us. Let's all move on. But also, Levy, don't deny the fact that you were invited to come on this show many, many eons ago, way before any incidents happened at any pinball tournament, and you still won't come on. So there is a challenge number two to come on the show, which is the Crazy Levy. Challenge number three that I put out yesterday was to Mr. Ben Heckendorn. I love Ben Heck. I think Ben Heck has a lot to say right now, and I think Ben Heck is at a moment of honesty right now. And I told him, Ben, come on the show. Talk about it on the show. Let's talk about it, right? Um, and this is a better medium for him to get it out than on, on Pinside. So hopefully he, um, he will take us up on that. Okay, so my point is this game is a collectible. You can either look at it like that or you can keep complaining about it. You can slam Stern and Joe Kamikow for what they've created, or you can just be happy that Stern is actually making so many games that you enjoy, has made this game to be a collectible. And if you're a Beatles fan and you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. But I think the sky is falling response to the Beatles um, is indicative of the entitlement behavior of pinside people, the entitlement behavior of pinball fanatics out there um, that on one front want to expand pinball, but on the other front, they think games like Pirates of the Caribbean are like a great way to do that, when a game like Pirates of the Caribbean is the last kind of game that will get new people into pinball. Let's not, no one's going to know what to do in that game. Where a game like Beatles, at least it's like, you know, it's, it's like a gateway drug to some of these more complex pins, all right? All right, let me read... Um, some of your emails. But before I do that, there was one other thing I wanted to point out. Well, actually, it's in one of my emails that I want to talk about. So we'll, we'll, we'll address it when we get there. But the first thing I get to do is really awesome. I'm actually going to upload um, some voice feedback that one of you gave me that is really cool. So if you want to send me a voice 
uh, email, or, or sorry, like a, a an attachment, which is your feedback on the show, um, that would be super cool. So let me do that right now. And I want to make sure I attribute this to the person who sent it because it's like really cool. It was from Matthew. Um, Matthew, thank you so much for listening to the show. I can't wait to air um, your commentary on my episode about Deep Root Pinball Owning Expo. Here it goes. Hey, Canada, longtime fan of the show. Just listen to 273, uh, Deep Root Wins Pinball Expo. Uh, a very interesting podcast, very interesting scenario. I mean, I'm right there with you. The actual designers and the people they have who've moved, relocated their lives, their families for this company, they have to have something in mind. Uh, the names are just too big. They haven't taken any money, no down payments, no anything. Uh, they're just saying, wait and see. Uh, judge us on what we put out, which is absolutely phenomenal. Of course, Pinside is uh, usual uh, negativity. Uh, you know, love the Wise No uh, call outs. Uh, bizarre dude, but uh, very cool anyway. The only thing I can think of, and this is just off the top of my head, is when Deep Root says they're going to put out more pinballs than anyone this year or whatever. I They may not mean different titles. They may not mean, you know, 10 different SKUs, different brands or whatnot i think they may mean total volume and what's got me thinking about that and what could be exciting is lower price points if they figured out a way to lower manufacturing costs by using alternative methods again just shooting from the hip here if they could get four thousand dollar new in box uh and open it up really to make it viable for people to put pinball machines in uh public spaces again without having to recoup ten thousand dollars or whatnot and uh, I think that could be the way they're going. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a mystery, but it's got me excited. Uh, the only way they're going to move that kind of, of freight is by price point. And uh, I think that's what they got. They got something in mind, something that could really uh, switch this whole game up. And that's very exciting when you have something new and exciting to talk about rather than just the same old, same old. I uh, love the podcast again. Keep them up. I listen all the time, buddy. See you on Pinside. Oh, I, could, ooh, I guess not. They will never lift my ban on Pinside, Matthew. But thank you for that feedback. Um, and l- let's talk about that real quick. So um, you're saying that you think Deep Root has got a lower price point in mind to sort of get the volume where they need it to be. Now, here's the thing, Matthew. I, 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 I find it hard to believe that Deep Root, who's never manufactured a pinball machine before, um, can start off by making a game cheaper than a Stern Pro. How, how are they going to do it, right? Stern's prices go down because of the volume at which they manufacture. And because of that volume, their parts uh, are cheaper. And everything they get is cheaper. And also their relationship with the vendors is cheaper. Who's, who are the vendors for Deep Root? Like, are they making everything in-house? Are they going to go the route of like home pin where like soup to nuts, the entire pinball machine made internally, and that's going to get the price down? I mean, look, Thunderbirds is pretty damn cheap, and that's all, but it's made in China, right? Texas is more expensive than China to make pinball machines. Um, the other thing, too, is I don't think we live in an era right now where games on location are um, are not happening because of price point. Like, pinball is all, it's, it's out there. It's out there. It's being operated lo- like the largest it's ever been since like the 90s um, and primarily the games on location are stern pro machines which are five thousand dollars and here's the other thing matthew it's like 
stern themes are so incredible and the theme is everything for location play if you want to get people to walk up to machine and play it for the most part they're going to gravitate towards the theme so i find it hard to believe that deep root could secure could really secure license themed games that attract people on location and then sell you that for four thousand dollars because we all know the licensing cost of good themes is pretty expensive and you'd have to recoup that by charging more for the game but i will agree that it is an exciting time to see what these guys come up with nobody knows nobody knows and and like i said tpf is going to be the greatest show ever because we're all going to find out if they're for real or if they're full of shit. all right i got an email from tim went tim thank you he says chris do you ever think that in a poll of beatles versus oktoberfest that the oktoberfest would slaughter the beatles it's 66 to 6 at the moment. Um, wow, I would not have expected that. What a shitty imagining of Beatles pinball. So, Tim, I talked about this on Pinside Babies. Absolutely a stupid poll that is put up at the exact right moment to sort of attract all the babies to move from the Beatles thread to that thread, right? It's like literally, let's just create another thread that lets these people whine like little bitches and try to prove a point. And like I said, um, here's the thing, you know, and I'm trying to be nice about Oktoberfest as much as possible. The Beatles will destroy Oktoberfest in sales. The other thing is this, I wanna ask all of you out there one simple question, because this is why, like theme is everything. Oktoberfest is a theme that is based around a festival that is very seasonal. It happens in October. Let me ask you guys out there, how well do you think Oktoberfest is gonna sell in July, okay? Just, just, just ask yourself that. It's like making a Christmas pin or a Thanksgiving theme pin. It's a festival, but it's also like a fall festival. All right, you can make a pinball machine around Halloween. Is it gonna sell in the summertime, okay? So I just think that poll is stupid and Gary Stern and George Gomez probably look at that poll and they pour a glass of expensive cognac and they put their feet up on the desk and they check the banking account of Stern and they see seven, eight figures and they start laughing their asses off that the pinside babies and the losers think that Oktoberfest is 66 to six better than, um, than Beatles. What, I mean, that's all that's all that's going to happen. It's a stupid poll. All right. I got an email from, let's see, Philip, um, Philip Campion. Philip, thank you. He says, Chris, I'm sorry I forgot your name, but I've been listening to several episodes, especially about your thoughts on home pin and the lack of excitement in modern pinball. While I might not agree 100% with everything you said, I have so far found, I have not so far found a better pinball podcast oh man thanks philip um you seem highly intelligent and although i am not a very social person i'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on something either by email or addressing it on the show well first of all philip i think a lot of people would have um a a a, <laughs> a thing to say about me being highly intelligent all right he says maybe i'm crazy maybe but something doesn't sit right do you think there could be something going on a at a deeper level with all these modern yet unexciting pinball machines, like a conspiracy, perhaps. It's like whether it's films, whether it's games, music, or pinball machines, whatever industry these days, 
Everything is lacking that magic that made so much of the previous work so timeless and perfect. Could this just be laziness on Stern's part? The people who limit a designer's creativity with the budget? Or could it be part of a much larger operation, like hobbyists lobbying, or sorry, like lobbyists lobbying with their money in order to socially engineer us? Um, like somehow forcing industries to make shitty products in order to dumb us all down so that we demand less and less from them. We would be easier to control once we lose sight of our amazing potential. Of course, this evil agenda goes much deeper than that. I know it sounds crazy, but what if it were true? I'm not stating that this is as a fact or anything. I just can't help but notice how these rivers have seemingly run dry and how stupid people are these days myself included. You can still play a half-decent video game once in a while, but these take advantage of the young and vulnerable and ridiculously overpriced in-app purchases. Okay, yeah, and and Phil, you're right. Like, think about it. Like, Fortnite is free. It's free. And they make $300 million a month on downloadable content. That's insane. Um, but look, Phil, I know what you're saying. You're saying, do you think there's a conspiracy by Stern and others to make pinball worse and worse and worse slowly over time to lower our expectations and then charge us more and more and more for those machines and we've lost sight of what actually a good pinball machine is? Very interesting concept and conspiracy. Um, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think these companies are trying to make the best games possible. I think things like cost of materials i think things like uh, you know cost of building these machines i think licensing fees i think challenges with like licensing agreements and assets there's a lot of reasons that go in i think to making these machines not as good as they were back in the day but primarily the reason we all know they're not as good as they were back in the day is we no longer have these things making money on location, right? And these games were meant for arcades. And Bally Williams had a team of people that literally poured everything into making a game like that wow world under glass because they had to compete against the games next to them and against the arcade machines. Now, the, there's not as much competition to buy. These companies know that if they simply just put a new inbox game together with beautiful lights and beautiful art packages, that the home collectors are going to gobble them up. And that has lowered the necessity to make these games better. It's the consumer that's to blame and not the, a conspiracy by the manufacturer. You know, it's guys like Frolic that buy every LE. That's why games have decreased in what's inside them because he keeps buying and there's many people like him that just there literally there are so many rich people that just tell their distributor just give me every new le that's next that that is why these games move um all right let's go on i got an email from joe ezel he said beatles lol i just saw the beatles retheme of sea witch hype and all i can say is defeat it sigh this thing looks like a fucking Nick at Night zizzle. I have no idea who is supposed to be the target market here. People in their 70s, the 10 Beatles fans who think the Sullivan show is how they should be remembered. I only asked this to try to determine, like, who wanted this? Who should be held responsible for this? Did someone hack Stern's marketing service to avenge Spooky's Lost Godzilla license? Also, this is a huge waste of a Sea Witch reissue pin, which Stern could do, along with a few more 
of theirs from the 70s and 80s as sort of a response to the demand for a few rare older titles to the cult success of TNA. All right, more lazy, mediocre crap from the joyless world of Stern, John. Wow, John, how do you feel, man? Tell me how you really feel about Stern in this game. Look, John, you know, we've been talking about this on this show, and I think, again, you can look at this like who's the target, I think I did a good job of explaining who the target was. I still think this is targeted towards pinball collectors who, for the most part, okay, I mean, this is true, who, for the most part, are not on pin side. If you remove pin side from your market survey, from your data research, right, that's the problem is you read pin side and you think this thing is absolutely going to fail. It's absolutely, you know, mismarketed. It's absolutely got no target. You're wrong. Um, there are so many collectors out there that would love to put this game in their home and they're not on pin side. And are there 2,000 of them? Probably. I think Stern is going to sell almost every one of these games. I mean, here's the thing. If they don't sell on, you know, the, if they're, they're going to sell out of the SLEs and the LEs. They're going to. And if they don't sell all the other ones, okay, fine. They're not going to lose any money on it because they're just not going to make them then. And that's why Stern is who they are because they're not stupid like they know how to even do this without losing any money whatsoever um so i think you're gonna be surprised when you see how hard it is to get a diamond edition beetles i i just do i think people don't understand that there is an army of people outside of pinside laughing at everyone on pinside all right i got an email from robert he said I like Beatles pinball. I like the Beatles. I like the 1960s. I like EMs. I like Beatles pinball. Regards, Robert C. from Melbourne, Australia. Well, Robert, thank you. I I think there's people who feel the exact same way. Oh, and to John's point about people wanted a Sea Witch reskin and not a Beatles, I think that's sort of ridiculous um, because here's why. Uh, You know, do you want like the old exact Sea Witch remade? Or just buy Beatles. Like it's it just Beatles will be as good as Sea Witch, if not better. All right. All right. I got an email from Dave Sanders. He says, "My own Beatles pin reaction." Dave Sanders, who worked on Alien Pinball. Dave, the designer from Highway. Welcome. He said, "Gosh, I'm disappointed." No, not at the Stern machine. I'm disappointed because that exercise makes it abundantly clear that the ideal world yellow submarine machine that I'd like to make just isn't at all viable in the current market. By the look of it, even the smaller yellow submarine license would be prohibitively expensive in a big way, and thus the game itself to justify the cost would have to literally become the kind of overindulgent, super limited, high-end $25,000 machine that only the millionaire nostalgia collectors would buy. Well, that's not what's wrong with that, Dave, if, if you can make that game and sell that. And then he goes on to say, and not for the game part of the actual game. And I just don't want to do that. Sorry. I spent upwards of a year on a game. I want the most people to get a chance of having fun with it. Selling around 200 aliens before the shutdown still really, really stings. As for the pin itself, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'd shoot it. I'd have fun with it. But nobody's forcing me to buy it. I don't really see it setting a precedent either, both it and Supreme are special cases. But hey, if it offsets the production cost of other games so that Stern can keep up the demand of more machines that people actually want, more power to them. Well, thanks, Dave. And yeah, and, and Dave brings up a good point. So there was a lot of discussion around which Beatles era machine they would make, and the Yellow Submarine was an option. But it sounds like to make the Yellow Submarine, the licensing cost was significantly higher, and the cost to get those songs was significantly higher. I uh, got an email from 
Stephen, um, Stephen Mikola. Stephen says, nice back-to-back podcast. I went to Pinside after your podcast. With any new pin released, either I like it or I don't. Other I don't give a shit. Um, other than I don't give a shit. The variety out there of new games releases has never been better. Keep up the passionate podcasts. They are my favorite of all podcasts. Thanks, Steve. By the way, when I look at my collection, I think to myself, what was I thinking? Best home entertainment, period. All right, Steven, thank you so much for listening. Um, I know that a lot of you guys were like, what the fuck? Two Canada Pinball Podcasts in one day. But we just had to do it. And I know you guys enjoy the shorter episodes that just have me going off. I got an email from Harry. He um, says, Chris, I'm beginning to question if you are a contrarian. You have said yourself that a Star Wars collector was not going to buy the pinball machine. I am not sure Beatles collectors will even know about the pinball machine being out and being able to purchase one to maintain it. All right. Well, first of all, Harry, it's on the Beatles like shop and a lot of Beatles collectors look at that. And believe me, the hype hasn't even started yet. Once this goes on the Beatles Facebook page uh, and fan clubs and fan forums and Stern starts promoting it, trust me, every Beatles collector will know about this pin. Okay. He said the pin sure is divisive. Stern gambled on the Beatles collector being willing to pay for this pin. You were just as outraged with a letdown that was Star Wars. Stern has their hands tied with major licenses, so it makes sense that the Beatles is what it is. Stern knew this was going to be divisive. Why they did not release this at Expo, was, which was days ago. While you are on point that the average person doesn't care about deep rule sets they just and they just want to keep the ball in play, are you purchasing one of to have non-pinball players be able to enjoy this game? They also have not announced the price point, which also will alienate operators. So it's not like you will see this at a bar anytime soon. Even Al is out. Come on, how is Al out on this game, Harry, if Al bought a $15,000 Batman SLE? See, that to me, again, it's the hypocrisy of these pinside personalities. Al bought a fucking $15,000 Batman and then tells me he's out? On a, on, a, on a fucking eight, $9,000 Beatles? See, this was what gets me mad. This is why the F-bombs start. Because these people are hypocrites. Total hypocrites. And Al should, should open up where he puts pinball machines. I wouldn't put a Beatles in, in the typical pin dive bars. But I would put a Beatles in one of these fancy, like, retro hotels that are popping up. Boutique hotels. That's where you put one in the lobby. And that's where, like, you'll get people to, like... Uh, understand the artistic collectible like awesome like concept that this game could be right he then goes on to say at expo i played mafia which has a similar simplistic layout it was rarely played for long i played one game thought it was better than i expected but i didn't need to play it again let alone pay 7500 I anticipate it will be a similar experience with the beatles not a machine to own in a small collection sorry all right harry I need you to do me a favor. I need you to like check your temperature. I need you to book an appointment with a, the doctor to get your head looked out, bro. If you're comparing the Mafia to the Beatles in in any level of like enjoyability, collectability, desirability, um, I think you need to see a doctor. There is absolutely they won't even sell ten of the Mafia. They will sell 10 Beatles in one minute, all right? Will it sell out? He writes, I suspect it's not a big run for worldwide distribution. 195 countries in the world, that's only 10 machines to each country. Yeah, because they're really, 
you know, they're really buying up pinball in Ethiopia and in, you know, <laughs> like there's only, there's probably only like 30 countries that actually buy pinball machines out of those 195 at most. All right. He writes then, I've been collecting for over 35 years. I saw Williams shut down. Stern was about to go under. I was hoarding parts for my collection. It's good to see that people are passionate about the hobby and I want Stern to do whatever it takes to survive and make money. Doesn't matter what I think. The artwork is great. It will be a work of art that is rarely played, but not sure it matters. By the way, we missed you at Expo. Peace and love. The podcast is great. Well, Harry, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you listening to the show. Um, I love the fact that I have such incredible uh, listeners. You guys are passionate. You tune into every episode. So thank you. Um, Look, Stern doesn't have to survive. Stern is doing just fine. And I think this will be a sleeper hit for them with the right target and it'll just be again i think monsters is going to be out in a couple weeks and all of you guys are going to shift your attention there and realize what this game is when you stop looking at it all incorrectly that that's my feeling about beetles all right i got an email from let's see Harry, he said, Chris, no, Harry wrote me again. Oh, no, this was the one I just wrote. Sorry, guys. Um, from Ian, he said, Chris, so I heard your response to my AP pricing sweet spot. Thanks for the play. I'll keep listening. No worries here. But I have to say, Houdini to me is solidly built game that doesn't feel amateurish. It's not homebrew. And if anything, I would argue new Stearns feel cheaper and lighter. I'm a used pinball buyer as well. However, I was going to buy new in box. I would seriously consider a loaded AP pin over one of the Stern premiums. All right, Ian, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Or is it Lan? I can't tell if that's an I or an L. I think it's an I. Ian. Um, Ian, look, here's the deal. Um, the, what makes American pinball games feel homebrew and amateurish, it's not the fact that like they're not solid. It's the fact that the artwork, it's a fact that the and the animations and the complete package in the execution of, of, of Houdini really feels amateurish to me. Um, whenever I look at the screen, it feels like something from like the early 90s, not something from a modern pin. And I think we're seeing the same thing in reaction to Oktoberfest. The execution on their part, is just amateurish and they need to improve that they need to hire an artist it is absolutely pathetic i think that they have all these different art styles drop down on that play field come on hire a hand-drawn artist to hand draw everything in the game go look at no good gophers right go look at that machine go look at what an amazing hand-drawn art package looks like look at what oktoberfest looks like it looks amateur it looks homebrew and that is why people are going to stay away i'm serious like it, you know you can't only do like one third of what people want it's not just a solid game with awesome shots and mechs it's the animations it's the sound it's the lights it's the call outs it's everything that is going to make people buy a game or not buy a game all right and they've got a lot of work to do in some of those other areas all right i got a email from um from Pin Len, he said, Pinside Rant, for the love of God, do not delete that rant. It had me rolling. I'll probably want to listen to it again in the near future when Stern instantly sells out of their diamond editions, no matter their cost. Um, thanks, Pin Len. I, I'm glad you appreciate the rant. I, I, I will promise you there will be more to come. Got an email from Justice Allison. He said, Beatles filled my diaper. Hey, man. I just became a Patreon supporter. I think I've heard almost every episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, but the last one just blew me away. It was like you were channeling my spirit. I am 40 and a Beatles super fan. I was extremely skeptical about this machine until I saw the video. I totally get what Stern was going for, and I love it. 
They said they were going to release their classics, and what a better theme to do it with than the Beatles. It's sad that so many pinsiders are not art savvy, but Franchi knows what he's doing. This is a true to the promotional art work of the time. Um, this art is true to the promotional artwork of the time. I only wish I could afford one. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, Justus, thank you, my brother. I really appreciate you listening to the show, and I super appreciate you being a Patreon supporter of the show. Um, you guys who have supported me on Patreon, I love you. I do, and I, and I, and I hope more of you who get entertainment from this show um, will show your support on Canadian Pinball Podcast on Patreon. I got an email from Frank. Frank writes, Beatles Pinside Babies. A fewer F-U-C-Ks. Maybe I did just listen to Canada's impression of the Big Lebowski. But otherwise, well said. Come on, people. Jesus. Um, thank you, Frank. Uh, he, I guess he's commenting on the amount I cursed. I got an email from Bill Sorrow. Hey, Chris. I personally like the Beatles Pinball Machine. The artwork looks stunning and, in my opinion, is spot on for the error of this band. I'm not sure why everyone takes new pinball machines so personally as long as Stern doesn't have some crazy price for this game. I think it's a winner. People need to wait for the pricing first before they come out of the pit with the pitchforks. The pin is a breath of fresh air. I'm sure once the dust settles, everyone will flip-flop on their opinions like they often do. Thanks for producing the best pinball podcast out there. Bill, P.S. My daughter, Savannah, big pinball enthusiast at 11 years old, is an avid listener and fan. We listen together to the episodes that, that have the least F-bombs. Well, Savannah, thank you for listening to this show with your father. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoy it, and I will try not to curse as much. And I'll probably put up a, a, a child warning message whenever I'm about to go off like that so I don't corrupt the the ears of Savannah in the future. Uh, I got an email from Zach Thompson. Zach writes, since I can't post anything like this on Pinside, thought I'd email you instead. I saw an ACDC, sorry, I saw an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle go up for sale today. 12 plays. I think Spooky is in big trouble on this title. There is no way they will make 500 of those things. I know you've said they're sold out, but I don't think it's true. I believe they're in the high 400s. The non-refundable deposit thing is going to bite them. Why would someone pay a non-refundable deposit now and get number 450? It makes no sense. By the time they're delivering game 350, home use only sales will be around 5,500 or lower. The interesting thing will be when people with the deposit down decide they just don't want the game. Is Spooky really going to keep their money? Anyway, my theory is they do not make 500 games. Agree or disagree? I'm really not rooting against them, but it's amazing how they get a free pass because everyone likes Charlie. This has got to be the last game he designs. All right, Zach, first of all, thank you for the note. I'm going to address this real quickly. Um, Yes, I don't think Charlie is a great pinball designer. It's nothing personal, Charlie. Pinball design is a subjective thing. Some people might love your designs. I just find them to be um, a little lacking compared to what's out there in the world today. I think he needs to hire a designer to make his games. I think he needs to run the company. I also think um, that it doesn't matter if they make all 500 games. You know, Charlie made a smart decision with the, refund the non-refundable deposit, but he didn't make it for the reasons that are smart. He made it to protect them from people bailing at the last minute because he saw that people lost interest in Rob Zombie. So that's why he's doing it. But the reason why it's actually a smart business decision is that, what does he care? I think Charlie makes $1,000 profit on every game he makes. That's what I've heard from people 
internally at Spooky, that he makes $1,000 profit on every game. So if he sells 500 games, he makes $500,000 in profit, all right? So imagine this scenario. Charlie has locked in the profit already before he's even made a single game. So if he sells 500 $1,000 non-refundable deposits, and let's say he only makes 400 games, he already has the extra $100,000 in profit from the games he didn't even make. That's super smart. Now, the only downside is he might piss off people who never got their money back and they're going to go and kick and scream that they wanted a deposit back. But, but those people can't complain because they agreed to the terms. So it was actually like a really, really smart business move. But again, we know that Chuck doesn't make smart business moves. He makes moves to, that he feels are morally right for pinball, to expand pinball, for the pinball collector. And that's why I think it's kind of comical that he kind of inadvertently made a really genius business move, even though I think he did it more, um, you know, for the love of pinball. And maybe those things can go together. So maybe, yeah. So that, but here's the other part about this email that is just comical. I don't think someone selling their Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle right away is indicative that the game sucks. I, I don't. I, I, I hate when I see this on pins. I like, guy buys machine, guy has to sell machine. Everyone's like, game sucks. No. You know who sucks? Is the guy who bought it probably just has to sell it for some reason. And you don't know what the reason is. This guy could, he could have opened the machine and been like, man, I can't route this thing. It's too beautiful. I, it should be in a collection, but I need a game to route. So I'm going to get rid of this and buy like a Deadpool Pro. You have no idea what people's reasons are when they need to dump a machine quickly. Because you're never going to see someone who opens up a machine and says, hey, I just bought The Hobbit, played it 20 times, don't like it, it's for sale, game sucks. No, they're going to want people to think the game is great. So look, one machine... One machine going up for sale is not indicative that the game is no good, all right? So I think that I, I think that's like clickbait for me to look at that and be like, oh my god, someone's already selling an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. The game sucks. No, it doesn't mean that at all. And that's another example of how you can take one thing that one person is doing on Pinside and think the world is falling around a title, and that's absolutely not the case. All right, what else do I have? Do I have any more emails? Um, I got one more email from Tim Leonard, spot on Oktoberfest review and hobby advice. Hey, Chris, just want to let you know that I thought your initial review of Oktoberfest was pretty much spot on. Unlike you, I'm a fan of this theme and love Houdini, but I have to agree that based on the pictures and videos so far, American Pinball needs to address numerous issues with the game's art package and callouts. That said, though, I'm confident that they will refine aspects of it at least. This was just the game's first reveal after all, and they have already stated that various additions, improvements are in the works. Just a question on how much we shall see. Mod creators can step in and fix certain things to if need be, like the boring auto head on the playfield that doesn't look like auto on the cabinet and back glass. In the meantime, I've added Oktoberfest to my watch list and I'm looking forward to playing a more finished version. I also wish to thank you for your constant common sense advice for addicted pinheads such as myself. Much of it, such as keeping the hobby in perspective with your life and focusing on enjoying the games you already have rather than obsessing over your next new and botched purchase fix, hits home and I'm working to improve my mindset accordingly. Keep up the great podcast. I appreciate your honest perspective on the business as well as the hobby of pinball. All right, thanks, Tim. All right, so here's here's the deal. Um, 
let's see what happens. I emailed Nermal over at American Pinball a bunch of questions about what they're going to address with the game. Um, he said he was going to get back to me by end of day today. I still want him to come on the show. He said he'd come on the show, and then he's like, I don't have time. It might be a few weeks. Um, so here's my advice to him, and I said this to him. 1,500 people listen to this show. You need to get hype going for your game now. It would probably be good to come on here and tell people why they should buy Oktoberfest. Uh, because look, once Monsters comes out and MBRs, Monster Bash remakes are shipping, it's going to be a tough sell, guys, to buy Oktoberfest in December or January. Um, final thought is this. I keep hearing that Monster Bash LE is sold out. Distributors are sold out. It's sold out. Rush to go get yours. That's bullshit, guys. The first allotment might be sold out with some distributors, but we all know they're going to make like 100 of the standard editions, then 150 or something LEs. They make them in batches. So maybe the first 150 LEs have sold out. There's still like another 1,100 to go. You know, so don't fall victim to you to your distributors telling you you got to get in now on Monster Bash Remake. This game will be available new in box for like two years. There's so many they're making. That being said, I keep hearing from people, Chris, you got to see this game in person. It, it blew me away at Expo. I think they have a huge hit on their hands. Uh, but I also keep hearing that Monsters is so fun to shoot and we're all going to be blown away. Exciting times, right? Exciting times to be in pinball. Everyone, have a great Friday. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you real soon. Okay.